This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Vince Lombardi was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers football team from 1959 1967. And in 1961, after losing to the Philadelphia Eagles in the championship game in the prior season, he gathered his team back together at training camp. That's back when real athletes went to training camp. And um, (laughs) he gathered them all around. Don't Don't get focused on that. He gathered them all around, and you know the famous line. He looked at me and said, gentlemen, This is a football. This is a football. Wise words, right? Well, what he began to do was he took his team back to the basics, back to the fundamentals. He took a pro team back to the starting points of football. And in a very real sense, that is precisely what we are attempting to do in this series called The Basics. We are attempting to take you, and you're a pro football team in my mind, We love you, and you're doing great. But we're going back to the basics. We're going back to the fundamentals of how things work and how you and I, as followers of Jesus, believe, think, speak, and live out what we have believed in. And so today, we're going to be continuing in that series. And I want you to start that by imagining with me that you are a football player, high school, middle school football player, who just made the team. All right, you passed the cut. You made it onto a football team. Now, if this football team is anything like the football team I barely made it onto uh, in, uh, in junior high and high school, uh, what happens next goes something along the lines of, congratulations, son. Now suit up. You're already late for practice. Let's go. You know, right? It's, it's, it's way to go. We got to work now, right? It's practice, 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 play a little. Practice, 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 right? Play, practice again and again and again as football slowly invades every aspect of your life, right? It begins to change how you're eating. It begins to change who you're hanging out with. It begins to change all kinds of aspects of your world. It even, I found after every football game, I would dream dream about the football game, usually improving my performance tremendously, right? Uh, That's what happens as you play. It impacts everything. Now, wouldn't it be really wild, though, if, uh, if somebody made a football team, did the tryouts, made the team, but then didn't show up for practice and didn't show up to play? And wouldn't it be, you know, really strange if that person still walked around telling people that they were a football player with the team? And wouldn't it, just for imagination's sake, wouldn't it be incredibly, horribly, weirdly, awfully strange if on, say, a Friday night, you would see that person occasionally at the stadium? You know, maybe, you know, helping out in the concession stand or sitting in the bleachers or in the pet band or something like that, right? Wouldn't that be, it just wouldn't make any sense. All right, now pardon the long sports team analogy, right? But some Christians, some of us, are doing just that. That's how we're acting. 
While we need to be waking every, uh, up every day, tuned in, growing at, and engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ, we are instead sleeping in, getting flabby at following, and more and more disinterested in our mission. If you're someone who, you know, maybe you're listening to this, you're paying attention to this, uh, but you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't consider yourself that, um, you're hearing this, you, you might be able to even think of some different Christians that you've known along the way that match that description, and you wrote them off as being a hypocrite right? Were, 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 were they maybe occasionally, they said something or they seemed to show up in some way, but you saw their life day in and day out and you could see the mild wide discrepancy between what they said and how they lived, right? And church becoming that kind of unintentional hypocrite isn't hard, is it? It is actually fairly easy to become complacent, where, where we go on autopilot in our faith because we are so confident about our destination that we no longer care about our direction. That's not too hard. It's not too hard to, to not even notice the slow drift over the years from a desire for holiness in heaven to a desire for health and comfort. It's not too hard. It's not, it's not too hard to, to, to not notice how certain sins in our life have just become routine. Routine. Or how we've gotten so caught up in politics, sports, kids, making money, where we've just imported so much into our life that we have just pushed faith onto the peripheral. We don't notice how Jesus' words in Mark 4 about the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things is coming true in our life. Where we say we're a Christian, but almost nothing else about us suggests it. It's why William Booth, founder of Salvation Army, he once, talking about this, he said this, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who's tended a fireplace knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. And church, even if you're not growing complacent, isn't that something that you want? Isn't that something that you need? That we want a relationship with Jesus Christ that burns brightly. That's not just somehow dim, but we have cultivated it. Where we are avoiding the traps over the years and we are headed in the opposite direction where instead we are growing up in our faith as a Christian. How do we do that practically speaking? How do I grow as a Christian? That's the question. And to dive into this this morning, I want us to first actually go deeper with the question. And then we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at the answer. And so let's do that by turning together to the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians. You're going to find the book of Philippians as you're looking in your Bible app or, or in your, your, your Bible. You're going to find it in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament. And you're going to find it right next to the book of Ephesians, right? Philippians. Now here, what we have in uh, this uh, particular letter is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He's addressing this group of Christians. And this is a group of Christians he's very proud of, right? This is a pro team. Uh, he, he loves this group of people. And it's clear all the way throughout the letter. And he does a couple of things. He, he shares with them a little bit more about his 
situation and uh, then about their faith. And then he paints for them a picture of some, uh, some following actions, some, uh, some practical instructions for what they are to be doing. Along the way, in this letter, there are three spots that help address the particular question that we're going to be looking at this morning. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, we find the first one. Here it is. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, the apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's imprisoned in Rome. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see these Christians again, and so that's why he's writing. You can pick that up in here about him being absent, not present, but wanting to be present. He, he, kept, he uh, picks back up the same theme in chapter 2, verse 12, and he says this then. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Note what it said there. It didn't say work for your own salvation. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, fear and trembling, this is an Old Testament term frequently brought up. And here's what it's like. It is like standing on a very tall building. Right, picture yourself up on the, the Sears Tower. If you ever stepped out into that glass box, you, somebody brought up to me after first service, you know what I'm talking about. But I want you to picture standing on top of the Sears Tower right next to the ledge. That's awe-filled respect. You see exactly where that line is, and you are not interested in playing around with it, right? And if you are like me, a little bit height-adverse, you feel that literal trembling, you know, going through you. It is fear and trembling. That is the idea here of how we are treating our salvation. We know exactly where it is. We care immensely about it. We are filled with awe and respect in looking at what Christ has done. Fear and trembling. Now, he says why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, the apostle Paul is going to go on in one more spot, and he's now going to tell them about how he himself is doing that. In chapter 3, verse 12, we read this. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I read those words that I just always want to shout that Nike phrase, just do it, right? Just do it. But you know, if you think about that call for very long, see, right there, the Apostle Paul, he he posited that that question of ours. He said, how do I grow in my faith? Right? In multiple ways here, we're we're told to go do it. He's shedding, though, some very important light on it. He said it in three different ways. Remember, he said, live, right, a manner of, uh, let the manner of your life, or conduct, as some of your translations will put it, the manner of life be worthy of the gospel, Right? Grow in your faith. Uh, the second one where he put it out there, he said, work out your own salvation. Right? And third, he said, I press on to make it my own. Right? Just do it. But you know, if you think about the first half of that call for very long, 
you realize what an awesome responsibility that that is. In fact, it is so awesome, it is so incredible, it would crush you. It would crush me if it wasn't for the second half of each of those those sentences, the second half of each of those verses, where it says that it is the gospel of Christ. See, it's the gospel. It's the good news of a Messiah, of someone who is a savior. And in the next set of verses, that it is God who's working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And and each of us, we want to make this our own in the third verse, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, friends, the starting place for growing in your faith is not more effort. It is a person. You are not alone. You are not alone in this journey. Church, I, I really actually need you to hear this. You are not alone. Christ is with you. You didn't start out by grace to somehow finish this by effort. You're not alone. If our faith is a faith in the gospel message, if it's that salvation that we are working out in our life, and if the final result is being like the Jesus that we're running after, then this all just makes sense. Remember, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity in terms of salvation. No, it is the A to Z of Christianity, and so it defines a new way of life that we are doing as a result of salvation and out of gratitude for salvation. And so the picture is being developed here. The picture of this relationship that's developing here, we could think of this way, and this might be a little gruesome, but imagine if there was a dead body here, and not like a fresh one, you know, one that been there a while. And imagine, though, that this person, you can just see the atrophy in the muscles. They never even really use their muscles. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, uh, and you're looking at this person, and somehow you're able to raise them back up to life, right? This would be a miracle, right? Uh, with a touch of Frankenstein. And, and being, being raised to life, though, is something that this person could contribute absolutely nothing to. It is completely a work outside of their ability. The only thing that they could contribute to it is the dead body that made it needed, (laughs) that made it possible to work on. Now, that's a picture that the Bible uses in several places of our salvation, that we were completely, utterly dead, and this was completely a work of God of raising us back to life spiritually, that we were spiritually dead, and now we are spiritually alive. But what would happen next? What would happen next? Well, you would have to come alongside that person and you'd have to help them learn how to eat and learn how to walk and learn how to take care of themselves. And as they would cooperate with you, they would begin to get a little bit stronger and a little bit more mature and a little bit better as they worked with you. Now, that's the image that the Bible oftentimes incorporates in various places to picture our sanctification as we are growing up in faith, where we cooperate with God's grace to grow. Usually it's pictured with children and that kind of thing, right? Of of maturing a child up. Where we are working, yes, but we are working because he is at work. Like what is pictured in the verses that we just read. And it just makes sense. As we put these things together then, 
the gospel and my responsibility and God's work with me and in me, then we are able to ask our question of how do I grow as a Christian with greater clarity and greater competence? Our question actually becomes this. How do I cooperate with God to live out the gospel in my life? How do I cooperate with God to live out the gospel in my life? That's the question built on the right foundation that we can in turn answer. Uh, with a question like that, by the way, we, can, we could tackle it in several different ways. But I want to approach it this morning from just zeroing in on the practical aspect of how. What is the bridge between the gospel and how it's lived out? In the text that we looked at, at the verbs here, we could see several different things, you know, where, where we see us and God doing things, where, where, where there's obedience, right? Obey, there's let or conduct, make, made, press, strain, or the clearest one, work, as in the farming term of cultivate. So this idea dealing with in this text is not an attitude. We're dealing with an action. This is how. This is activity. And there are activities that we call spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. This is the answer to how we cooperate with God to learn how to live out the gospel. As we mind the text of Philippians actually in front of us, though, you know, we can see that each of the three statements that the Apostle Paul made, that, that what follows it is broad, sweeping commands to the church to follow. But eventually, these commands get spelled out into very specific actions or activities. And some of them are, are corporate things that all the church was supposed to be up to and doing to live this out. And other things were individual actions and individuals were supposed to take and do to live this out. Some of them are corporate. Some of them are individual as we get uh, from these, the idea of spiritual disciplines, we could also take it throughout the scriptures and get a lot more clarity. Uh, Don Whitney supplies us with a helpful definition here by way of summation, saying that spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we do this together as a whole church, and others we are doing on our own, but all of them are specific ways in which we are working out, we're cultivating the gospel in our lives to answer the question of how. How do I cooperate with God to live out the gospel in my life? Spiritual disciplines, I don't want anybody to miss this, spiritual disciplines, what they are doing is they are building that bridge between the gospel and living out the gospel. They build the bridge. Think of it this way. Um, back to the football analogy, because we haven't gotten enough of that yet. Um, imagine that you went up to the practice field for, for football. Uh, if you've ever been up there, maybe you watched the practice, maybe you played or something like that, you know that there are all kinds of interesting things up there, right? They're all used as a part of the practice. Uh, here's one of them. This, anybody know what this is? This is a ladder, right? And you use this for the very cleverly named ladder drills, okay? And what you do is your coach would have you go through this thing using all kinds of, of different steps to work your way together through the drill. And it's a funny looking thing. If you were watching somebody go through it and you didn't know what it was about, you just kind of think they were playing hopscotch. So uh, on its own, 
as you look at it, or you look at the drill, listen, you have zero idea how in the world this connects a football player to the game of football, right? If you've watched NFL football, you would not understand, right, how does this connect? You'd have no clue. But, and by the way, if you kept doing it and you didn't understand it, what would it become? Drudgery. You would hate it. If you didn't understand why you were doing it, you would just hate it. Keep moving forward with this. This drill here is designed to specifically improve your footwork. So you learn as a football player how to plant, how to pivot, and how to move your feet quick enough to make a play on the football field. This ladder drill bridges the gap between a football player and the game of football so that you actually make a play. And this is a parallel to spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, they are spiritual exercises that are grounded in the gospel that are designed to teach you and I over time through repetition to naturally live out the gospel that you believe in. Spiritual disciplines, they bridge the gap and they show us how to cooperate with God in changing into the spiritual athlete that he's calling us to be. They're key to growing. But we actually have to show up for practice. So then let's take a lap through the practice field of spiritual disciplines to look at the various ones that we can practice with and we are to practice with. And we'll divide them into the two categories we talked about, corporate and individual. So let's look at the corporate spiritual disciplines that we do together. Now, again, these are exercises. They're not equations. They're habits that we practice that, mature, that God uses to mature us. The, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about these in 1 Timothy 4, 8. He said that they are of value in every way. They hold promise for the present life and the life to come. And so, church, we have certain spiritual disciplines we're engaging in corporately. Here's four of the big ones. The first is celebration. Celebration. This one is clearly a spiritual discipline because Smith party of one isn't much fun, right? Um, It's not much fun to celebrate alone. It doesn't make much. But from one end of the Bible to the other, we can actually see the people of God celebrating God's protection, God's provision, God's goodness, his being, his work, celebrating it together. It's held up for us as an example. Now, the most common way that we celebrate these things together practically is what? It's through singing. It's through singing. It's what we just engaged in. Where we together celebrate God's greatness. We also, we can do this in other ways, you know, baptism parties, uh, worship nights, uh, holidays, meals, and more. But But they are only spiritual disciplines if who we are celebrating, who is at the center of attention, is Jesus. Then it has the potential of becoming a spiritual discipline and not simply a cultural expression. Now, as we keep moving through that and we keep practicing it, we can see how uh, celebration trains us to seeing our daily life through the lenses of God's graciousness. That begins to be the outcome of it. And it cultivates, along with these other spiritual disciplines, the opportunity to see the fruit of the Spirit come of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We begin to see those fruits come. Next, we have confession. 
confession. Again, this is done together. All right, we're not talking about a confessional booth or something like that, but in James chapter 5, we have the idea, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Right? In confession, church, what we do is we stop blaming our sin on a disease or on someone else. Right? We begin to talk about our sin the same way God talks about it. And we take responsibility for our sin rather than displacing it. We take responsibility for it. And there are few things that are more beautiful or more important than the reminder that we have the opportunity to share with one another in those moments that that sin that you just confessed, it's forgiven. It's finished in Christ. Right? That's the opportunity. As we practice this spiritual discipline, we begin to see our daily life through the lenses of forgiveness and righteousness. And we see fruit following. Now next we have service. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Right? We are to serve one another, church. It, serving is part of what we do as a church. Sometimes this looks like sharing our resources. Sometimes this looks like getting our hands dirty. Sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's complicated. But part of what we do as a church is that we serve one another. It's a spiritual discipline. What it does is it trains us to resist pride and selfishness and to instead pursue humility in Christ-likeness. Now, Finally, we have scripture. Now, scripture is similar to like the hitting drill of spiritual disciplines, okay? Because it is common and it is basic to every position on the field. It is certainly a spiritual discipline that we do together. It's certainly a discipline that we do alone. But since we are more familiar with this one, here's what I want to say. When I look at our congregation, I think that we do a wonderful job of corporately wanting to listen to the Word of God, wanting to hold that up, and wanting to submit to it. I'd even point out that I think it's fantastic that a majority of us are involved in a group where we are reading the Word or reading about what the Word teaches and learning to understand it. We could do better there. However, at least the majority of us are making space for it. Uh, at times, though, and here's where I would encourage us to grow. At times, individually, and even as a group, we have a resistance to doing the hard work. The hard work of studying the word, memorizing the word, and teaching the word to others. But we are only going to reap the full rewards of this spiritual discipline as we do the hard work, as we get over these hurdles completely, and as we see those things as being part and parcel to our spiritual discipline of being in the scriptures. And as we practice this spiritual discipline, listen, I cannot overstate how it trains us and how it sharpens us in the truth of everything as it begins to whittle away and show us how to cultivate love for God and love for others. In church, these corporate spiritual disciplines, listen, we have to remember, they take time. They happen over seasons. There is no microwave for your spiritual life, okay? It is much closer to a metal file. You ever filed something? Even your nail, right? A metal file. You use it, and, and you use it again and again and again to slowly 
but surely push off, grind off all the dust and the grit and the rust that's accumulated over time. And what happens is you don't see it off the first stroke, but 365 strokes later, you see it. Church, that's how this works for us. Spiritual disciplines do not change in one reading. They do not happen in one time of singing a song. They happen 365 times later. And yeah, there'll be aha moments along the way, but you're only going to see the difference a year later. That's how they work. Now, what about the spiritual, individual spiritual disciplines? Let's take a look at some of these briefly. The most obvious one here is prayer. Prayer, fundamentally prayer, just like my wife Adele teaches in the early childhood with all the twos and threes, prayer is talking to God. It is pouring out your heart to God. And what I want us to do is to keep working at training ourselves that the first conversation that we have every morning is with God. When we wake up, we begin to pray. The first prayer oftentimes out of my mouth is, good morning, Lord. (laughs) And it goes from there. But that should be our first opportunity. And as we learn to practice prayer intentionally, we begin to wake up our day and carry out our day in a spiritual discipline that brings God's power, his presence, and his wisdom to bear throughout our day as we continue the conversation. Now, oftentimes, the second spiritual discipline here goes with it, fasting, which is uh, fasting is a conscious decision to forego something, usually food, for prayer. And you do this for a set period of time. Oftentimes, I would encourage you just to practice this by taking just a half day. Just taking a half day during a partial day fast. And, and, and you can do this, of course, all the way up to 40 days. But I would encourage you to practice this, especially as what fasting does is it trains your appetites. Not just with food, but your appetites with anything. Fasting begins to help teach you the discipline of saying Yes and no. It trains your self-control. Fasting as a spiritual discipline, it grows us in that way so that we can say no to all kinds of temptations. We can deal in all kinds of situations because we've been trained. We have trained our appetites and we're operating in an attitude of self-control. Now finally, uh, or not finally, uh, next, Meditation, right? If you think of meditation as some kind of Eastern idea of, you know, being in the lotus position and emptying your mind, get that on out of your mind, okay? Uh, Meditation from the scriptures is in places like Joshua chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, other places uh, where we are instead not emptying our mind, but we are filling our mind with the scriptures. We are mauling it over. We are reciting it multiple times. We are uh, asking questions of it. We are looking to apply it. We are sitting with the scriptures. And as that happens, Two practical things begin to result from it. First, as we are putting that scripture deeper into our hearts, oftentimes what happens next is things begin to surface. Hurts, sins, questions begin to surface as a result of meditating on the scriptures that give us an opportunity to deal with that. Second, when we meditate on the scriptures, what we are doing is we are placing a scripture deep into our heart that later on God uses in terms of guidance, in terms of warning, in terms of directing us. It's oftentimes a place where where the Lord's pulling back up that scripture in your mind and pushing you in the right direction with it. That's meditation. And that's why it's incredibly beneficial. 
Now, again, there's all kinds of other individual or corporate spiritual disciplines, but since I have to pick a finish line somewhere, I'm going to finish with this one. Silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. If you're thinking, it's just like a pastor to make the last one sound like two. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear you. But, um, but here's the last one. Silence and solitude oftentimes go together. Obviously, this is a spiritual discipline that you can't do with others, uh, but nothing will help you grow at valuing others, guarding your words with others, like spending a day alone and not talking. There are so many passages in the scripture about the trouble and the pain that are caused from our words. If you want to grow at controlling your tongue, the spiritual exercise of silence and solitude trains us to pay attention, to watch what we say and who we say it to so that our words honor Christ. And practically, what the fruit of that spiritual discipline most often is, is very simply kindness. Kindness. Because you value the other person now. You begin to value what you say. Kindness results. Now, friends, make no mistake. Again, there's lots of crossover between these disciplines. Uh, Not all, but many. But when it comes to it, these are disciplines we can do together and on our own, but don't miss this. No one can do it for you. No one can obey for you. No one can grow for you. No one can exercise for you. No one can take responsibility for any of this for you. You have to take responsibility to cooperate with God and show up for practice yourself. You have to take responsibility for the responsibility that God has given you to work out the gospel in your life with his help. And friend, that's the daily invitation. It's to show up, to resist complacency, to resist hypocrisy, even if it's unintentionally, to resist resist putting our faith on the periphery. As D.L. Moody once said, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or have enough sufficient air in his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. And the great news in showing up, church, is that you're not alone. You're not here to somehow grow yourself, fix yourself, or find yourself because God has found you and he is with you. And as you are with him, he will finish the work that he started His joy will sustain you. His truth will free you. And ultimately, his Holy Spirit will shape and grow you into the character of Jesus Christ as we cooperate. Let's pray about that. Father God, Lord, we want to repent because many times laziness has been the sin that we've fallen into. You invited us to something better. You showed us something better. You helped us with something better. But we saw it, and we saw the work, and we thought, I'm not interested in working out. So, Lord, would you draw us? Would you help us to repent of that sin and to head in the opposite direction where we recognize your call and we see your forgiveness, and we, out of gratitude, pursue the salvation and the new life that you have created in us. 
Lord, we want that. And Lord, we pray that as we as a church, as a corporate body, that we would help one another with that. That we wouldn't simply think that effort is all that's needed, but we would depend upon you. And that as a body, we would help one another to pursue you all the more and to see in one another and encourage one another when we see it, the conforming of our character into Jesus Christ. I pray that in your name. Amen.